Welcome to the Relentless Grace Podcast. This church has left the building. Your host is Pastor Paula Mamel. Welcome to the Relentless Grace Podcast, a podcast for people who are seeking an authentic, unbridled faith connection with Jesus that is relevant in the 21st century. Whether you have been bruised by organized religion and walked away, or are deeply engaged but looking for a way to deepen your spiritual journey, Relentless Grace is a podcast to connect with your spirit. Each week, I try to make connections between the timeless Word of God and the reality of our everyday lives through reflections on the Word and ways to implement your faith in your daily life. This show is seeking to provide a re-communion of seekers, doubters, goers, and leavers with the power of the Holy Spirit outside the walls of a congregation. This church has left the building. This week, because it's Easter week, I'm going to do something a little different. Instead of the usual format, today I have a message on Easter, on the reason the resurrection matters. And on either side, I have songs performed by my friends Ruth Skinner and Cami Wenberg. And then on Wednesday, April 19th, I will be releasing the first podcast in my series on the Beatitudes. Whenever you listen to this podcast, whether it is during Easter week, Easter season, or whenever it is, I hope that you feel the power of the resurrection and the hope that the risen Christ brings to our lives. As you live in the relentless grace of our Savior. And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Died he for me who caused his pain? For me who him to death pursued? Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? Tis mystery all the immortal dies, who can explore his strange design? In vain the firstborn seraph tries to sound the depths of love divine. Tis mercy all at earth adore, let angel minds inquire no more. Tis mercy all, let earth adore, let angel minds inquire no more. He left his Father's throne above, so free, so infinite his grace. Emptied himself in matchless love, and bled for Adam's helpless race. Tis mercy all immense and free, for oh my God, it found out me. Tis mercy all immense and free, for oh my God, it found out me. Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray, I woke 
Awoke the dungeon flamed with light My chains fell off, my heart was free I rose, went forth and followed thee My chains fell off, my heart was free I rose, went forth and followed thee No condemnation now I dread Jesus and all in him is mine Alive in him my living head And clothed in righteousness divine Bold I approach the eternal throne And claim the crown through Christ my own Bold I approach the eternal throne And claim the crown through Christ my own I remember vividly the title of what was without a doubt the most pretentious title of any paper I wrote in seminary. It was for Christian Theology too, a course that focused on the role of Jesus Christ in the development of our theology. In this class, we spent a lot of time talking about Jesus. Now, I went to seminary in the mid-80s, and so one of the really hot topics at the time was the controversial work of Bishop John Shelby Spong and whether the resurrection was myth or reality. The focus of Bishop Spong's work was that the bodily resurrection was not essential for Christian belief. Well, I took grave opposition to that and wrote a paper with the pretentious title, The Necessity of the Resurrection for Christian Soteriology. Essentially, why the resurrection matters for an understanding of Christian salvation theology. As pretentious as that title was, it is nonetheless the most basic and essential piece of my understanding of faith and why Jesus matters. The reason why I continue to be driven by a desire to continue to share with people the good news of Jesus Christ, how even though I too have been bruised and beaten by the church in my life, I have not been able to walk away, is because of my firm conviction of a relationship with Jesus Christ that is different than spirituality, that is different than just wanting to live a good life. How my belief in the personal relationship with Jesus Christ is so vital, and why Jesus' resurrection is the most important thing we need to know about God. So during this Easter season, I thought I would share the essence of that very pretentiously entitled paper that I wrote, which is one of the least pretentious things about God. See, Jesus came for one purpose, and one purpose alone. Jesus came to forgive sins. Now, why was that necessary? Well, in a matter of minutes, I am about to give you the entire salvation history from Genesis 1 up to the time of Jesus. When God created the world, it was good. It was perfect. And we moved away from God. We wandered away. That's what the stories of creation are about, about us moving away from God. But God could not change what God needed in the world, which was for it to be perfect, for there to be no gap between us and God. But there was. 
And so the Old Testament is full of story after story after story of how God tried to get things back together, how God worked through humans to try to figure out a way to bridge the gap between us and God. First, we hear that God tries a do-over. That's the story of Noah. The story of Noah is a story that tells us that we have a God who said, enough already, I am just going to erase everything and start again. You know, how you might feel sometimes when you're drawing a picture and it gets all messy and you just want to crumple it up and go back to the beginning. That's what the story of Noah is in the scriptures for, to show that God tried a do-over. Taking the best person that he could find and his family and saving them. But what does it tell us in the story? Well, the first thing Noah does when he gets off the boat is he builds an altar. And then the next thing he does, which, to be perfectly honest, after spending all that time on a boat with animals, as we hear about in the story, next thing he does in the story in Genesis is that he gets drunk and somehow loses all of his clothing and is lying around buck naked and passed out so that his sons wander in on him, and then he gets mad at them for seeing him naked. Basically, short form, what happens is the do-over doesn't work. That's what the story of Noah is in the scriptures for, an example of how do-overs don't work. And so the next thing God tries is to seek a relationship. He makes a partnership with Abraham, called Abram at the time, and said, you will have a child, and that child will begin a great nation. I am going to work with a relationship with you to create a people who will honor me as their God. And so he tries to create this relationship with Abraham, but Abraham is not a particularly good follower because he is told what to do by God, but he doesn't trust God. At one point in the story, he denies that his wife is his wife and she might end up in a harem. And if that had happened, then she would not have been bearing Abraham's child. Then he tries to give away the land that God gave him by giving it to his nephew Lot. And then he doesn't trust that God is going to give him a child through Sarah, which is what God said God would do. But Abraham doesn't trust, and so he has a child with his servant Hagar who he basically takes and rapes and has a child with her. And then finally, he has his child through Sarah. So the whole relationship thing isn't working because Abraham doesn't trust God enough. The story continues as Abraham's son and his son's children and their children grow into a great nation, but they do so in Egypt, where they are in captivity. And so God sends Moses to free them. And when that happens, God says, hmm, this relationship thing hasn't worked real well, so I am going to try to work through rules. I am going to give them a bunch of rules. And so Moses goes up to get the rules from God, and as soon as he comes down from the mountain, Moses sees that they have created a calf to worship instead of worshiping God, and Moses takes and, and dramatically throws the stone plates on the ground, and they are broken into a million pieces. So that's how far rules go. Rules aren't going to work to bridge the gap. So then there are a series of judges who try to discern the will of God. And then the people say they want a king. They say, if we have a king, if we have a king that tells us what to do, then we're going to be good and things are going to be fine and we'll be in great relationship and that will bridge the gap. 
But the thing is that uh, the first king, Saul, doesn't trust God enough. And then the king that is considered the greatest king of all times is King David. You know, King David, the man who raped Bathsheba and then murdered her husband. That was the good king. So kings aren't going to make things work. So then God sends a whole bunch of prophets to scold and to say, if you don't listen to me, I'm going to send you into exile. And they still don't listen. And then they go into exile and they come back and they still don't listen. There's still a gap between us and God. And so there's a timeout. 400 years in the scriptures where we don't hear of God's activity. And during this timeout, God says, hmm, it's not going to work through a do-over. It's not going to work through a relationship. It's not going to work through rules. It's not going to work through authoritarian powers. And it's not going to work through threats. So what am I going to do? Well, the only thing I can do, I'm going to have to be the actor here. I'm going to have to bridge the gap. I'm going to forgive them. I'm going to say, be in a right relationship with me and things will be good. Be in a right relationship with me and I will forgive everything. I just, I want to forgive you. I want to show you how much I love you. And so Jesus comes into the picture and Jesus has one mission to show people what the Father's love looks like, to show people what God looks like, love and grace, not willing to look the other way in brokenness, but willing to say, you are forgiven. And so that's what Jesus did. When he healed people, he said, I forgive you. That was the money line. That was the key. All he talks about is how God wants to be in relationship with us. That's why he talks so much about prayer as a way of talking to God. It's the reason Jesus talks so much about money, because he recognizes that stuff is a block to God. But ultimately, he came to forgive. And that's what angered people. They didn't want him to forgive them because in order to be forgiven, you have to acknowledge that you are broken. And especially the religious authorities, they were not there to hear that they were broken. They weren't there to acknowledge their own fallenness. The people in the community, they thought that they could follow the rules and they could earn a right relationship with God. And Jesus made it clear that the only way you can do that is by being perfect and we aren't perfect. But they didn't want to accept that they weren't perfect. And so they turned on him and they wanted to kill him. They wanted to silence him because in order for them to come to terms with who Jesus was, they needed to acknowledge that they needed a savior. And so Jesus was killed. He was killed because of his mission to forgive And so on the cross, he spread out his arms and he received the nails and he received all of the vitriol and anger and he bore the weight of the world. But what he said on the cross was, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He came to forgive and he died. 
And if that were the end of the story, this would be a very sad story because it would just be a story about a a person who came on a mission and it was a failed mission. But that's not what happened. Because by rising from the dead, Jesus was able to say, not even death is going to keep me from forgiving you. Not even death is going to keep me from loving you. Not even death is going to keep you from my relentless grace. The resurrection is absolutely vital to our belief in God and who Jesus is because in order to have the blessing of God, we need to know that not even death will keep God from doing what God has made the primary mission, which is forgiveness and love and grace. That is the face of Jesus. That's why it's so scary now when people spend so much time making Christianity about this, who are you going to hate the most and who are you going to reign on the most and who are you going to exclude from the kingdom of God? And I want to say to those people who are making these absolutely abhorrent laws that deny who people are, I want to say, what does that have to do with Jesus? What does that have to do with God's love? What does that have to do with God's grace? That is the picture of Jesus we need to see. And that is the picture of the resurrection, a picture that says you are forgiven, you are loved, you are accepted, you are mine. This whole playing judge thing that goes on That's not the image of a risen Lord. A risen Lord says, come unto me, all you who are weak and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. But more importantly, a risen Lord goes to the power of God to overcome our hurt and brokenness, to embrace us with grace and love. And the face of Christianity needs to be the face of that love, of that acceptance. Who were the first people to hear of the resurrection? Women. People who didn't even have rights at that time. Kind of like the first people to proclaim that Jesus was born were shepherds who couldn't even testify in court. Jesus came to receive everyone, especially those who others were condemning, and to accept them and love them and offer them grace and forgiveness. Not for sins that we perceive to be sinful but for failures to love. Because Jesus came and said, judge not and love one another. We have a risen and triumphant Lord. We have a God who conquered death in order to tell us that even our refusal to accept our own need for a Savior will not keep us from one. It is essential that we have a risen Lord and not just a good person because it is essential to have that, to know that the power of God overcomes our human frailties. And it allows us to proclaim that God holds on and loves us from death to life. And that, that is the best news of all. Happy Easter.
and I believe he's here now. Standing in our midst, here with the power to heal now, and the grace to forgive. I believe in you, Lord. I believe you are the Son of God. I believe you died and rose again. I believe you paid for us all, and I believe you're here now, standing in our midst, here with the power to heal now, and the grace to forgive, and I believe you're here now, standing in our midst, here with the power to heal now, and the grace to forgive.